Welcome to Short Course, episode 118, for December 8th, 2023. I'm your host, Ben Barry. I uh, apologize for being a week and a day late. The extra week off was just due to coming back from vacation with something that ended up going through the whole house, so all four of us have ended up having whatever this was now. Uh, I ended up having to skip the match last weekend as well, so definitely no picnic. And then yesterday when I was supposed to record, I just had a bunch of stuff I had to do for work. So recording this on a Friday night and I'll upload it as soon as it's done. So what I want to talk about tonight is my first board meeting that I was invited to. My term officially starts January 1st, 2024 as Area 6 Director, but I was invited to the November 2023 board meeting as a an invited guest. So uh, it wasn't explicitly said, but I didn't speak unless spoken to and just generally was there to listen in. Now, the board meeting ran for about four and a half hours. I was only in it for about two and a half of those because I was excused at, at two different points that I'll talk about as I as I work through the uh, the minutes and, and my notes on the meeting. But from those those two and a half hours, I definitely have what I hope is some context and some more detail into the discussion that was had than is necessarily seen in the minutes. And and that's what I'd like to provide is basically make the case for for both sides or to give a fair hearing to the various views that are presented just so folks know that even though a vote might go one way, that that views are being expressed and ideas are taking being taken into account. So to dive right in because I'm sure this is going to be way past the the normal length I, I like to hit for a short course episode. The the thing that, that surprised me is the, the meeting actually started off as a part of uh, the president's report. Ted Murphy was talking about the IPSC nationals, and this is not noted in the minutes at all, but I thought it was interesting that there was some discussion of the fact that this is a, this is a nationals. It does count for world shoot slots. And so there, there was some discussion of some of the issues around the match administration, things like, on the one hand, some of the IPSC procedures basically being followed in a, a slipshod way. So some competitors were given the form that they were supposed to get signed at every stage. Some weren't. Some were given them halfway through the match. And from what I've heard talking to other folks, it sounds like they basically just got thrown in the trash at the end of the match, which obviously, if you're, if you're going to do that, then then don't have the facade. So the, there was there there was discussion of that. It was it is on the board's radar. There was some discussion of the fact that you know we start, there is this tension between we need someone to run the IPSC nationals, and so when somebody does step forward to do it, the the if the org contracts it out, then they have limited influence to try and have you know say in in some of these issues, but. At the same time, the org doesn't necessarily have the time, money, and resources to actually be involved in running IPSC nationals at the same level that the the main USPSA nationals are being run. Now, you can decide whether you think IPSC nationals ranks more or less highly in the the, the, the hierarchy of importance than running you know three separate handgun nationals, well, handgun and PCC nationals, in addition to uh, world speed shoot, in addition to multi-gun nationals. But that that was the discussion that was had. The board is aware of of some of the issues around the the, the administration of the IPSE match. There isn't a sort of obvious solution, but it was discussed and 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 they were aware of it. So of the board 
the Leighton area two was there as a shooter. Mel Rodero area four was there as a shooter. Uh, I was there as, as a shooter, uh, Yi Min, the incoming president, which we'll discuss it a little bit more in a minute was there working a stage. And then Russell Fortney area eight was there working. And I think that's, yeah, I think that's everyone. And, and everybody was very understanding that the, the staff did the best they could with the rain and the, and, and all of that, that, that wasn't the, the, the cause of most of the, most of the discussion. It was more just things around making sure scoring calls are right. And, and that, you know, if you're going to do IPSC match administration things like have gear check, have chrono, have these, these equipment check sheets, make sure they're actually being done in a way that is consistent with an IPSC match. The second topic that was discussed, which I was excused for after being in the meeting for about 25 minutes, was Yimin Lin's appeal to be restored, to have his RO cert restored and be allowed to serve as president. I was excused for that discussion. Eventually, they did vote in to go to into executive session. They came out of executive session and voted, made two votes, one to restore his RO cert, which, okay, great, he will be allowed to serve. And the second one is to prohibit him from working a match as an RO. Now, again, I wasn't here for any of this discussion, so I don't I don't have any inside baseball. I don't know any more than than you guys do. But the question that does come to mind for me is what's what's the stick? What what's the penalty? What backs this up? If he does go against this board vote and work a match as an RO, what are they going to do about it? And from what I can see, I mean, you know, potentially maybe there's some employee stuff around docking his pay, maybe at the end of the day, the final backstop is a 7-7 vote to remove him, but is working a match as an RO sufficient to call for a 7-7 vote? Again, I wasn't in the discussion. These are the kinds of questions I would ask if I was. I wasn't, so I don't know anything. The motion seems kind of fishy, but at the end of the day, I think the the person that the membership voted for will be allowed to serve, and I think that is, I think that's the right outcome. I... I've made my views on on Yemen as a candidate in the past clear, but he was elected. The members did vote for him, and so he should be allowed to serve his term. So, and he will be, which is great. Uh, the next topic that I that I was in the meeting for was the the report from Zach Jones, the director of Steel Challenge, and the main topic was around the idea of adding adding two more stages to the standard ones that that Steel Challenge has, and what I took away from the discussion as someone who has only shot a few steel challenge matches is that basically there are eight steel challenge stages on the books of which there are six that are known as the speed six. And then there's two, which I believe are speed option and outer limits that just run slower. And so the idea is it, most clubs that run a club match are going to run the, the six that are the fastest and they might run the, the other two as a, as a special match as a part of a level two or something like that. And what people are asking about is basically, I, I guess the question is they would like to be able to run additional stages that could be used for classification. So of those, all of those eight recognized stages have stage times, peak stage times, which is the steel challenge version of a high hit factor. They have a peak stage time defined for all 13 steel challenge divisions. And so every time you shoot a match, you get a classification, basically every, every one of those eight stages is sort of comparable to a to a USPSA classifier. And there is some discussion about the fact that, well, at level one matches, you're allowed to run stages that aren't in 
though in, in the recognized eight stages. But then the question is, well, people who are hardcore steel challenge people, they want the stages to count for classifier. And if you're going to run two outlaw stages, then why not just run the whole match outlaw and don't pay steel challenge anything? And so th there was this question of, you know, what what is the goal? What, what, what problem is being solved here? Because the flip side of things that I found pretty interesting listening to the discussion and again, trying to understand more about the culture of steel challenge is it sounded like the there was no interest in running these new stages at the World Speed Shooting Championship. There, there is this the strong culture around certain world records for you know each of the thirteen divisions for you know men's, women, junior. That there are there are well known, well established world record times, and if you start monkeying with the stages that are run as a part of World Speed Shooting Championship, you'd start monkeying with those world records, and people really put a lot of stock in those world records. And so you know, fair enough. And so basically, the discussion was around. A, are we going to put a survey out to the members to ask, you know, is there interest in this? And B, it, what would the survey ask about? And basically what, what was coalesced around is the idea that basically can we come up with two stages that use all the plates that are already used in outer limits and uh, speed option so that if some if a club has the full eight stage set, right, which that's a known package that a lot of steel target vendors will sell, if a club has that eight stage complete set they could set up this alternate faster set of eight stages and run an eight stage club match that didn't necessarily have the, the these two slower stages so that will be a, a survey that's forthcoming i'll be curious to, to to see the responses i'll be curious to hear your thoughts so anyone listening to this as someone who shoots steel challenge if you have thoughts on this either way i, I would love to hear it i'll be present in the december meeting but obviously starting january 1st i would I would be in a place to vote on adopting new stages or whatever the next steps along this process are reviewing the results of the survey. So by all means, give me your, give me your input, your thoughts, what you would like to see, what you would not like to see, where you, you think this fits into the, does this solve a real problem that you see in the steel challenge matches that you go to? The next agenda item was Donna as the managing director, giving her director report which covered a, a few various topics that are that are mentioned in the minutes, things like getting ready for end of year accounting, closing the books, doing all that kind of stuff, and and just some sort of procedural things, no real announcements, just kind of updating the board on on some progress that, you know, hey, these things are in motion, nothing to report yet, but we'll have more to, to talk about later. And then discussion of the planning that she'd done and the the, the proposed logistics around the in-person board meeting. The hotel that it was going to be at and the dates and and the, the travel arrangements and everything for everybody to fly into vegas on a friday though basically the friday that that shot show ends meet at this she'd found a, a hotel that would let us you know bring in outside food and all that and have the meeting saturday sunday and then everybody flies home on monday and there was some discussion of what is the benefit how many people are we actually sending to shot show does it does it make sense to actually try and co-locate this with SHOT Show when we're flying in 12 or 14 people, something like that, when you have all the area directors and the director of medium events, DNROI, director of IT, director of Steel Challenge. Once you fly all everyone in, if you have three or four people going for SHOT Show, you know, does does the number of people coming in for the board meeting kind of outweigh the value? And so there was some some discussion there. But it was also there there was it was kind of understood that we'd be getting into that later with the, the motion that, that Scott had on the agenda to discuss travel to nationals and, and in-person board meetings. 
So once that wrapped up, I was kicked to the waiting room for the finance committee to give its report, which lasted about 20 minutes. I, the, the minutes record that there was a, a vote to accept the report of the, the finance committee. I don't know what was included. There was no, there is no finance committee report included with the minutes. So what was discussed, it, it wasn't in a formal executive session, but it's a sort of de facto executive session in the, in the sense that there's basically nothing in the minutes about it. No committee report was attached that, that I've seen and I wasn't allowed to be there for the discussion. So I don't, I don't know what the outcome of it was, which I mean, I guess in theory, when my term starts, hopefully I'll get access to some of that, that information and, and be able to be up to speed with the finances of the, of the organization, which will be relevant for voting on things like the, the, the two agenda items that, that come up later in the meeting around improving the finances of the organization. But yeah, for whatever reason, I was, I was not allowed to be present for that. And there is no committee report available to the membership, even though the, the board did vote to accept whatever was reported. When I was invited back in from that, there was some discussion. Uh, the the board minutes, the the minutes just recorded as basically saying uh, there was some proposed new committee. Basically, it was it was around the idea of should we have a, I guess a committee, but also some kind of a fund for tr for funding international travel. So basically, making it so that people that want to shoot international matches, people can donate to this fund, and then that fund can award grants to people who want financial assistance traveling abroad. And, you know, basically the discussion came down to traveling to shoot matches internationally is expensive. There's not really obvious demand that, you know, a lot of people are willing to, to, to donate to things like the, the junior fund because people want to give to juniors. There isn't really a clear demand of people who have money that they want to charitably donate for grown adults to be able to go overseas to, to, to shoot international matches and obviously this 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 didn't come up in the in the discussion among the board but to me this borders on how much are we helping people who do qualify for world shoot teams whether that's the the handgun world shoot which is the biggest most prestigious and then say the shotgun world shoot which just wrapped up in thailand yesterday and then the various other world shoots so there's there's a rifle world shoot. There's going to be the same. There's going to be a PCC and mini rifle, which is semi-auto 22 rifles. There's going to be a separate PCC and mini rifle world shoot in uh, in Czech Republic. I believe it's the same year as the the upcoming handgun world shoot in in 2025. So yeah, because right now we're 23 and 24 will be qualifying years for the the 2025 handgun world shoot, which will be in South Africa. But in that same year, because IPSC separates PCC from from handgun matches, they'll have a separate PCC world shoot in in Czech Republic. So all that to say, you know, I know that, that there's been some discussion of people, what level of benefit USPSA does provide to people who qualify for team slots. And then basically, any you know, if you qualify for a a slot through USPSA, but you're not on one of the recognized teams then you are pretty much on your own for covering your travel, which I think is, I think that's, I think that's fair. It is a sort of luxury good. If you want to travel to South Africa and you didn't necessarily qualify to represent us on the official team, that's fair. But, but anyway, that's all editorializing on my part. The, the discussion in, in, around this particular proposal was just basically making it so people, that there was some pool of money that assumed that people would donate to that then people who did want to travel internationally to shoot matches could basically apply for to receive grants in the same way that 
it sounded like similar to the the way the, the Mike Voigt Jr. program grants are are applied for and awarded. But basically, it came down to international shooting is expensive. If you don't want to shoot internationally, you don't have to. And there there wasn't really seen to be a lot of interest from donors in putting money into this fund. So the decision was made to basically not have any any further action. I just thought it you might be interested as someone reading the minutes. Oh, what's this about a, a new committee? That's that's what that was that was talking about. So then we came to probably the first really contentious vote, which was the vote on the change to the bylaws around revising the the statement that the managing director is not an officer of the corporation. And I'll be honest, you know, if I were a full member of the board, I, what I would want to, the question I want to ask is, you know, what is, what is the real meaningful significance of this? What is, how does it really matter whether you're an officer or not? What has been implied from some of the posts from practical shooting insights on Instagram is that Donna signed the paperwork to revive the, the corporation, which had been, which had lapsed due to, you know, falling out of uh, filing annual reports with the, with the state of Delaware, that Donna signed that and that I guess that form has to be signed by a director. And so in theory, the the only three people that would be, well, the bylaws say there are three directors of the corporation, president, vice president, and corporate secretary. And they, there was this tension between, well, the bylaws say the managing director is not a an officer, but if someone is managing director and corporate secretary does does the not being an officer by virtue of being managing director cancel out the fact that by being corporate secretary they are an officer and so there was some ambiguity there and so the the idea was to revise the bylaws to reflect what was seen as the the intent that basically this is the the intent was that the managing director would also serve as corporate secretary which if you look at the bylaws is a pretty limited job it basically just says to maintain all the bylaws maintain the minutes of board of directors meetings. And it doesn't, it doesn't even necessarily say that, that they have to be the one recording the the minutes of the, the meetings. The, the bylaws specifically say the president may appoint a board secretary, hire a professional secretarial service, or make other such arrangements as are necessary to have the, the minutes of the meeting. So the board secretary is not necessarily the corporate secretary, but in practice, at least since since Donna has been in the office, and it sounds like when they're in the the previous days of the executive director, the corporate secretary was the board secretary was also the executive now managing director, and so this is sort of the way business has been done. The bylaws just didn't reflect that, and so the idea was let's just amend the bylaws to clarify this. This was always the intent, and so let's just do it. There was a brief discussion of the section of the the bylaws. And I mean, the 7.4, it's two paragraphs that define the corporate secretary, but at the end it does say, in general, the corporate secretary shall perform all duties incident to the office of corporate secretary and perform other such duties as may be prescribed from time to time by the president or the board of directors. And basically the, the, the question was brought up, does this mean the corporate secretary reports to the president? Because the managing director is supposed to report to the board, the, the MD doesn't report to the president, and you know, does this kind of create unclear power lines and that it was basically said no that that's not a real concern that, that that's not an issue it's it's obvious who the managing director reports to so that was uh that was the discussion the the vote ended up going 7 to 2 and the the bylaws were amended the the next sort of contentious motion that came up after that was 
a motion that that Scott Arnberg, Area 3, had submitted, uh, I think, at least a month ago, maybe two months ago, around cutting expenses. And and both both of the motions, this one and the next one, that he had submitted did not get talked about at last month's meeting because there was all of this polygraph talk. They didn't have time to, to discuss these these cost-saving measures. So the first one was a motion, and I'll just read it here because it was not included in the minutes because the, the end result of the discussion was that it was the motion was withdrawn and, and will be resubmitted. But what Scott moved was, whereas USPSA is facing financial challenges and whereas optimizing resources and cost reduction are essential for effective governance, and therefore be it resolved, one, starting in 2024, board members may only seek reimbursement for one national championship events, travel and lodging expenses, specifically the one coinciding with the annual in-person board meeting. Two, in 2024, the annual in-person board meeting will take place two days after an USPSA national championship event. Three, the selection of a specific national championship and in-person board meeting dates will be determined by a majority board vote. Four, no other board members' expenses will be reimbursed in the 2024 calendar year. Rationale. The travel expense restriction significantly reduces operational costs for USPSA's financial stability. Scheduling the annual in-person board meeting immediately after a national championship event optimizes time and resources by eliminating the need for separate trips. Concentrating the meeting around a national championship match promotes effective planning and camaraderie among board members. This proposal aligns with USPSA's commitment to responsible financial management and transparency. The USPSA board will implement these actions and notify all relevant parties. So, this actually kicked off what I thought was a a really interesting discussion that went in basically four different directions. Um, the first one was sort of this this topic around should we have a separate in person board meeting in January, or should it be combined with the nationals and sort of the pros and cons of that. You know, you have it in January, you have this opportunity that incoming board members get to start the year off by building rapport with their fellow board members. And in theory, you know, the, the meeting can be used to strategize for the year ahead. The flip side is to some degree, it's nice to have a, a few meetings under your belt before going to the in-person board meeting. Traditionally, it had been incoming board members would be invited to the December meeting. In my case, they did invite me to the November one. So I'll have two online meetings under my belt before the in-person one in January. But there, there was some significant discussion around that. And then just in terms of consolidating one trip versus two, you know, do you have a separate trip in January? How many of the board members actually go to SHOT Show when, you know, traditionally the in-person board meeting has been located in, in Vegas to make it easy to, to do that? The second discussion was this idea of only covering the, the, the board members traveling to a single nationals with the idea being, well, Board members should go to as many nationals as they can. And if we tell them they can only go to one nationals, then all the other nationals won't have board members at them because we're not paying the cost for it. And so that shortchanges the, the attendees of that nationals. The sort of that led to a third discussion, which is this idea of members meetings and the fact that the bylaws say we are supposed to have a members meeting at every nationals. But are the members meetings actually meeting the needs of the membership? You know, how, how many people... Typically, they're held on the range 30 minutes or an hour after the after last shots of the PM squads. So you either have the AM folks who go home and have to come back or you have the PM folks who've been shooting all day who come to the meeting. You know, historically, they haven't been hugely attended. And so the question is, what is, you know, there was kind of this discussion around what is the goal of members meeting? Well, honestly, it wasn't discussed as much as it should have been, but there was some some pulling around the edges of this idea of 
what are we trying to accomplish with these member meetings and are we actually accomplishing it? And the, the fourth thing that actually ended up sinking the whole motion was the, the fourth item in Scott's motion, which was covering area director travel within their areas. So it's, it's worth noting, and I'll link to this in the show notes, the official expense policy for area directors, which says, and I quote, the following will be covered by USPSA for each area director so that he can fulfill his duties. The yearly in-person board of director meeting is fully covered for the area directors. All USPSA nationals events, area championship match for directors area, and additional travel up to $6,000 a year will be covered for the area directors so that they can perform any other duties defined in the bylaws. So that's pretty generous. I mean, so for example, just right off the top of my head, when I think about running area six, to me, I mean, the way the way that the North Carolina section has been run is the costs for Steph as as section coordinator to travel to the match and be on site for the match those are covered out of the funds of the match and so by shifting those expenses from the match to headquarters that basically leaves more money for the match and so if if the match is not making enough money that it can cover the area director to travel to it does headquarters need to cover that but anyway so it's it's those those four things basically an area director can get their expenses covered to as many nationals as they want to. They don't have to work it. They, you know, they they could get the staff package, but that's not required. They can just have their travel covered to the event and just shoot it as a shooter. The, the in-person board meeting, I mean, that makes sense. That's not something, you know, for example, the one that we're talking about right now is going to be at some, you know, generic, unremarkable hotel in Las Vegas. That's not somewhere I would go on my own. So yeah, covering covering expenses to go there and back makes sense because if I had to pay for that out of my, out of my own pocket, I just, I wouldn't, I would, you know, tend to be a zoom or something. I, I'm not going to fly out to, to Vegas just to, you know, sit in a hotel room for, for two days out of, out of my own pocket. But for things like going to nationals, if you're going, if you're not going to work and you're just going to shoot, you know, should, should USPSA cover that anyway, what ended up sort of causing the the whole discussion to run aground was that that fourth bullet point in the policy and the, the the fourth item in in Scott's proposal, which is basically saying, if we take away the the ability of area directors to travel around and shoot matches on USPSA's dime within their area, then that would be really detrimental. And this was actually the one spot in the meeting where I was actually asked to contribute and give my view as someone who was who was coming in and would potentially be affected by this. And what I told them was specifically regarding the idea of combining the in-person board meeting with the nationals was that I, I, I actually would, would rather prefer that. I, I, the odds of me being able to attend more than one nationals in a year is, is pretty low just with all my other work and family commitments. And so if the in-person board meeting could be rolled into that and, you know, just be combined with the, with USPSA only paying the expenses for one trip and just basically two more two more nights in a hotel that that makes sense to me yes i think it the idea is nice to kick the year off with an in-person board meeting but again i think there is value of of having the in-person board meeting at some point during the year and so in the interest of of the cost savings i mean i i know i certainly would rather spend time going to a to a nationals than going to you know like i said some generic hotel in in las vegas where i'm basically going to be flying out on a friday and flying back 
honestly, in all likelihood, I'll probably be taking the red eye back Sunday night and just be back at work Monday morning just to, you know, save a, a PTO day. But we'll we'll see how that that actually works out. Because, you know, obviously implicit in this whole discussion as a part of this motion was what was up in the air was, is this Las Vegas January in-person board meeting going to happen? And personally, I would have rather amended the motion and and worked back around to that and, and actually in 2024 at least salvaged that part of it if we if there was no agreement that could be made among the area directors about the the business about the other six thousand dollar travel expenses being covered. But yeah, basically the 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 idea of not having your, you know, not having the the six thousand to travel around the area and not having the, the ability to travel to more than one nationals and not having the ability to travel to your area match on on USPSA's dime sunk this, which again, to me is, doesn't really make a lot of sense. I, if I'm going to go to a nationals, I will want to be there. But, you know, there was some discussion of the idea that if, if USPSA is paying for you to be there, then should you be shooting it at all? Should you just be walking around and trying to interact with the members? That topic was sort of mentioned in passing, but not really discussed actively as a, as a topic. My thought on that is, well, if it's a competitor reset match, then I wouldn't necessarily want you know, area directors just floating around gabbing with people on my squad because then everybody else on the squad has to work harder and everybody's just going to want to get FaceTime with, with the area director. So with the, the way that it's structured, structured as a competitor reset match, there's really not a way for area directors to get that much value where, you know, th- this is something that was, it was interesting. Again, I've mentioned it before, but John Royer and and Stephanie Berry, my wife, uh, the two match directors for the Carolina classic, they did an interview with uh, Dave Riddle from the Casual Shooters podcast. And one of the things they talked about was people who at first were kind of bored by staff reset, but then at the end they found, oh, they could spend more time talking to their squad or focusing on their shooting or just sitting down and taking a break. And, you know, it took people a little while to get used to it. But ultimately it was it was one of the more chill matches on the calendar because people didn't feel this need to reload their mags real quick and then get back out to pasting. And so I could see there being value in having the area directors floating around if the competitors weren't expected to be pacing and resetting to keep the match moving. But since they are, let's say you are an area director and you're not shooting the match. What are you actually doing if you do travel out to the nationals? And to me, this, this gets into a larger issue, which is you shouldn't have to travel to nationals to, to be able to be heard by your area director. And this gets into the, you know, the whole discussion of members meetings as well. And and this is a whole, I mean, this is, this is a, a, a rabbit hole that I think we need to discuss quite a bit more of, you know, how do you actually have people, whether they can travel to nationals or not, having their views heard and expressed and and passed on by their by their area directors. But anyway, the the whole thing, like I said, ended up kind of running aground on not not really specifically on the proposal to consolidate to one meeting, although there was definitely resistance to that. But just overall, there there was a there was pushback on on almost every part of this. And again, my my input was I I'm fine with this. I mean, to me, the the limiting factor for me in terms of how many matches I'll be able to travel to, it's really much more just time off work rather than than necessarily money. But I certainly would would like to you know my goal is to travel and and be present at at section matches in Area Six. Certainly, I think. That is probably a better repre- a better way to, to represent my constituency to, you know, see the, the folks at section matches, you know, travel and, and shoot as many section matches as I can than to try and shoot all three handgun nationals necessarily. 
And so, you know, there's, there's a tension there. The motion, like I said, ended up getting withdrawn. Uh, Scott said he would, he would reword it and, and resubmit it. But again, I, to me, the, I think the, the main bummer is I, I was kind of hoping that I wouldn't end up having to, you know, make this out and back trip to, to Vegas, just again, to, to sit in a generic hotel conference room for a couple of days, but it seems like it's going to happen. So no big deal. I'm certainly looking forward to getting to meet everyone and, and, you know, get some FaceTime with everyone that I'll be working with on the board. So there is a, a silver lining to it, but, but I also, you know, recognize the, the expense that is entailed in flying everybody out to this hotel in Vegas that otherwise wouldn't necessarily be there where a lot of these folks are going to be at, at one of the nationals later in the year. So once it was clear that the motion would not pass, Scott agreed to, like I said, withdraw and, and revise it and, and resubmit it. And so we moved on to the next agenda item, which was another motion submitted by Scott to reduce costs. This one around freezing the, the salaries and basically freezing hiring. So the full text of the motion is whereas the United States Practical Shooting Association, International Practical Shooting Confederation has incurred financial losses for the past two consecutive fiscal years, whereas it's imperative for the organization to take immediate and responsible measures to address its financial challenges, be it resolved that the board of directors of the United States Practical Shooting Association, International Practical Shooting Confederation hereby proposes to freeze all pay increases, hiring and bonuses within the organization for a period of two years effective November 1st, 2023, Further resolved that during this freeze period, no employee shall receive a salary increase, no new positions shall be created or filled, and no bonuses shall be distributed. Further resolved that the board of directors shall review the financial situation of the USPSA IPSC on a quarterly basis to assess the need for continuation or modification of this freeze. Further resolved that this freeze does not apply to essential operational expenses required for the ongoing activities of the organization. Finally resolved that the president of the board or their designated representative shall communicate the decision to all staff members, stakeholders, and affected parties, along with the explanation of the rationale behind this decision. This motion will remain in effect until November 1st, 2025, at which time the board of directors will reassess the financial situation and determine whether it's necessary to continue or modify the freeze. And, you know, the, the case that this got made, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but, you know, the basic idea was we have to send a message. We have to cut costs somewhere. This is, this is one place to do it. It can be reviewed quarterly but we have to do something to show the membership that we're paying attention and trying to cut costs somewhere. The argument of against was, was pretty straightforward that basically if people know that they're not going to get a raise or a bonus, why should they work very hard? Why not just kind of skate along and do the minimum because there's no real incentive to strive because you, you have no, uh, no carrot to, to, to work for. And I, I, I certainly can can see that as an argument. I know I, I can imagine if I was told by my boss, you know, I, I can imagine how I would feel if I was told by my boss, hey, you know, you've got your job, but you're not getting a raise for two more years. Personally, I, I don't know enough about the finances. I don't know, you know, how much of the 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 swing in the profitability of USPSA from being profitable up until 2021, the swing from there to now where we're losing, you know, five hundred thousand dollars a year. I don't know how much of that swing is caused by raises and bonuses. I don't know what the current trajectory of, you know, what are the folks on staff have, I, I have heard secondhand reports of, of head of layoffs or some kind of cuts in headcount. I, I have not seen anything. I still have no access to anything other than, than what you guys see and literally what I heard during this meeting. So I, I don't, 
I still at this point don't have enough information to really have a, a full financial picture of the of the organization. But obviously, Scott and Frank thought that this would at least move things in the right direction of sending the signal. Scott made the point that in the motion, there's this idea that it can be reviewed quarterly. And so if things do turn around, it can always be lifted. It's not permanent, but the idea is to to change the track that the organization is on to be one that at least will control costs in this one targeted area. But basically the, the discussion ended up coming down to, you know, how do we expect the employees to want to work very hard if they have no promises of a of a bonus or a raise? And additionally, there is a compensation committee which every year meets and decides what the the raises will be and for whom. And at least in the last year, so going into 2023, what it sounded like was said, again, I have no access to, to primary records on this, but it, what it sounded like the, the compensation committee recommended and what was enacted was no uh, merit bonuses or raises, but a cost of living increase basically just to keep up with inflation. They mentioned some kind of government index that it was pegged to. I, I don't know the, the exact amount, but basically the idea was in 2023, there were no merit bonuses or raises. And so from a morale perspective, forecasting two more years of that would be negative for morale and people would would start looking for other work. Again, I, I don't I don't know enough about the current employees. I don't know about the financial situation to really have a view on that. But but those were sort of the two sides that, that were presented. And then the the this one, this motion did end up going to a vote. It was Frank and Scott voting yes and everyone else voting no. And by this point, it was 1130 at night. So, you know, we'd, we'd all been on this meeting for four and a half hours now. So people were definitely getting a little tired and and uh, ready to wrap things up. So there was one there was a request to pull one other thing off the off the agenda around this. The statement that ended up being made about uh, the well, the the what's recorded in the minutes as Motion to enter a statement into the record. Lee Cabana is not, nor has ever been, an agent of record on any policy for USPSA. So basically the, the background on this was apparently there was some discussion, some internet kerfluffle around accusations that former Area 7 director Lee Cabana, who has, I, I can only infer from context, I don't know anything about him personally, but I guess he's worked in insurance or he has some professional knowledge of insurance and he had advised USPSA on some aspects of which policies to go with. But the accusation was that in some way he'd personally benefited by steering policies in one direction or another. And that was Frank, the current area seven director brought this up to the board to basically say, this is false, right? Like this is not a thing. There's, this has never happened. Can we, as a board, just, put out a statement and, and try and put this to rest. And everybody agreed that, yeah, this is, nobody is aware of, of anything like this. Donna said, you know, he's, he had advised her on the, some aspects of policies, but never said to use a, a certain advisor or to, you know, a certain policy or a certain company. And so, yeah, this is, this is baseless. Scott contributed the verbiage that basically in his words, not only would uh, saying, you know, using this agent of record verbiage, you know, it's a, a term of art, I suppose, within insurance as well as annuities that basically covered both. So, you know, basically saying, even though it's a little cryptic, Lee has never personally benefited from any insurance or annuities that USPSA has purchased, which, you know, okay, fair enough. That was, that was a concern. Hopefully that, that thing that can be put to bed 
you know, based on the, the, the discussion and, and what was available in, uh, in this meeting. So at that point it was 1130 my time. Uh, I know some of the, the folks on the, <laughs> the folks on the West coast, they, they have to start earlier, but, uh, you know, at least it's, it's not quite midnight for them by the time it wrapped up. But yeah, at that point there was a, a motion to table everything else and adjourn that was, that was called. And, and that was the end of the meeting. So hopefully that gives you some context, a little more detail and information than, than necessarily what was in the minutes about the, the issues that were discussed and the pros and cons. I'm just imitating something that, that Scott started when he started in his role as area three, he, he was doing these debriefs of the minutes with Joel from training group live. And I think in this particular case, I, I, well, I'm, I'm sure he's got a bunch of other stuff on his plate, but he also spent three hours the other night having a virtual members meeting for the members of area three discussing a whole range of topics, everything from USPSA politics to area three match specific stuff. So I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes as well. It's three hours long. It's definitely worth, I think worth a listen. I, I, found a lot of value in it, but I, I get the sense that, you know, after doing that, Scott probably wasn't up for necessarily debriefing this meeting. So I figured I would do it. So like I said, hopefully this gives you some context, some insight. This is my subjective interpretation of things. I apologize to anyone if I misstated their position, but I, I genuinely tried to put things in a sort of neutral light and fairly reflect the discussions and positions that were expressed. So I'm sure this is not perfect, but I want folks to have some sense of, of what's going on in these meetings. And hopefully this did that. So that wraps up this episode of short course. If you want to get in touch with me, my email is bennettberryshooting.com. Talk to you next time.